This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tell Me This. I am one of your hosts, Carrie Borkowski, and I am super excited to introduce this next episode. As Brienne and I were thinking about what to do as we wrap up season two, we thought it might be fun to turn the tables, and she actually interviews me this week. Um, I know many of you have been listening, and thank you for, for following along. We've been interviewing lots of different people, leaders, educators, parents, about their experiences during the pandemic, successes, and things that have changed. And so we wanted to keep with that interview format. And as some of you know, I have hinted and sort of dropped little nuggets that I am in the middle of writing a book. And hopefully I'll be finished with that book this summer, and hopefully it'll be out for publication um, early fall. And so we thought it might be fun to to provide a little bit of teaser uh, about the book. And so Brianne um, interviews me. So I hope you will stick around for the interview. I hope you enjoy it. And if you have any questions or want to hear more about it or something about the, the topic really interests you, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at um, Carrie at tellmethis.com. I just got a new email address woohoo! to go along with the new website. If you haven't checked out the new website, please make sure you check it out, www.tellmethis.com. We've got some new content on there. All the episodes of the podcasts are up there. And as some of you might know, I'm starting to dip my toe in the water of coaching. And so we have TMT coaching services that are starting to be available as well if you're interested. So All right, so I hope you really enjoy this episode. Stick around as Brianne interviews me about my upcoming book, titled To Be Determined. Thanks for listening, everybody. everyone. Welcome back to Tell Me This. I'm Brianne Roos here with Carrie Barkowski and we are, or I am, I can't speak for you. <laughs> I'm really excited about today. It's just a different kind of show for us. So we're turning the tables and I am going to interview Carrie about her upcoming book, which is super exciting. She has been writing feverishly, um, like churning out paragraphs and pages and chapters <laughs> over the last few um, 
really months, I guess, weeks and months. And I know that everyone listening will want to read the book and hopefully you'll enjoy hearing about it um, today. That was very nice, Brianne. <laughs> are, are you ready for this, Carrie? <laughs> I, I guess. I mean, I, I prefer to be the one asking the question. So, um, but yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, I well, want to, sh- I want to share what's in the book. So this will be, this was one way to do it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We can say in, you know, full disclosure, I had said to Carrie, I wrote the questions. Do you want to see them ahead of time? And she said, no, I'll be surprised. So yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you know me, I like want- a little spontaneity. So yeah, same with me. I love that. <laughs> She's lying for folks who totally. are first time listeners. <laughs> uh, well, you won't be surprised by the first question. So in true, tell me this fashion, we will begin with the check-in. So how are you? How's your family and how are things right now? Mm. Um, <clears throat> I think we're doing reasonably well. Um, actually, we, I, uh, Susan and I got our first vaccine on I think it was Tuesday. I'm losing track. You know, it's still the pandemic, so I can't keep track of days. But yeah, so that was great. Um, just had a little soreness in the arm, but no, you know, um, what do you call it? Side effects. So that was good. Um, so that feels, you know, that feels hopeful, right? Like, I know the pandemic is still here. I know there's worries of a, I don't know, whatever wave we're on third or fourth wave, but it feels, I don't know. I just feel like when we're outside now, or when I go to the grocery store, I feel a little just better, hopeful. Um, the light is getting brighter, which is, which is good. So, and I was telling you before we started recording, it's earth, you know, it's earth day, earth day weekend. Um, and so Susan took the kids for an overnight in Rhode Island. So not only is, am I feeling hopeful about the conclusion of the pandemic, but I have like a little space to get some stuff done that I haven't been able to get done with, with three kids underfoot. So, so that's kind of nice. Awesome. Yeah. Nice. Good. I agree. Um, with just the hope that that vaccine brings, it was pretty like both of the days for me felt very remarkable and yeah. I don't know, just positive and hopeful. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. All right. So, um, your book. Mm-hmm. So I want to know, you know, when you tell people that you're going to write a book and they say, Oh, what's about, what's it about? Yeah. <laughs> what do you say? So give us the elevator pitch before we kind of dig in a little deeper. Mm. So I don't have a title yet. I wish I had a title. We're still working out the title. Um, but essentially the elevator pitch would be that this book is about transitions and it started out, um, with an audience of no surprise educators and students in mind. Right. So you and I, um, spend a lot of time with doctoral students and I just know, I've just noticed over the years that as doctoral students enter this program, yes, academics are a challenge. Of course, they're supposed to be a challenge, but the other part of this is that's a challenge is that transition, Um, you know, like moving from having this well-defined professional identity into a novice space. Um, And we don't, if we, if, if we're not paying attention, I don't think we realize how paralyzing that can be dealing with that and the uncertainty. And so as I started to talk to the editor, I began to realize that transitions are universal, (laughs) Whether you're starting kindergarten, whether you're taking on a new hobby, whether you're moving to a new town, taking another job, even if it's not your first job, it's a new job, right? The newness of some experience has some element of transition. And so this book is really, I hope it's unpacking with stories and my experiences, what these transitions look and feel like. And then I've tried to devise from my experience a way for us to 
navigate them, to prepare for them and navigate them. Because I think what's missing and what I think is missing in at least academic programs and even onboarding and you think about orientation programs in like corporate America, what's missing is intentional practice around transitions. You know, okay, I noticed that I feel uncomfortable and the human reaction most of the time is ignore it sidestep it, push it down, move through it really quickly, right? Instead of harnessing, <laughs> right? I think I say in the book that it's this, this paradox of discomfort and discovery, mm. right? And, and you know how I like alliterations too, Brianne. So that was a, so not only was it a paradox, but it was TV. <laughs> so like, I was like, woohoo, right? Um, <laughs> Because it is, it is uncomfortable and it doesn't matter how old you are, how many times you've been through something, how many degrees you have, you're going to feel these transitions and they just suck a lot of times. (laughs) Right. And yes. And there are opportunities for discovery. I mean, if you know, as well as I do, Brianne, cause you're an educator, when do we learn most when we're uncomfortable? Mm Right. And so I hope that this book is is sort of a way for us to collectively recognize that we all feel this. We all should be supporting each other and we should really be doing intentional things um, to better navigate those transitions. That wasn't a very good elevator speech because I literally would have had to go up the building, down the building, up the <laughs> building and back down. But um, hopefully that gives yeah, you with strangers in a confined strangers, space. Like, yeah. Excuse me out right now. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> no, no, but it, it was good. And what I loved about it was you answered the question of transition. Like what is a transition? Because I think it's very easy to think of transitions as kind of landmark moments, right? Mm. High school to college, college yep. to whatever's next. Um, yep. we yep. talk a lot about graduate students, uh, maybe a new job, but what you just said, and what I think is so important is that it's also in sort of those everyday things, like Mm -hmm. even considering a new job or moving. I mean, these things that just happen to everybody kind of routinely. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, those are all transitions. Yeah. I mean, some of the early literature on transitions certainly focused on those milestones that you mentioned, you know, turning, you know, becoming an adult, becoming a parent, going off to college. Um, But more of the literature, you know, the later literature recognized that it's not just the milestones. And interestingly, um, there's one author and I can't, uh, uh, Schlossberg um, talks about transitions. And one thing that she said and contributed to the literature around transitions is that they're also unexpected. Mm -hmm. So, so if, you know, you're, you're sort of journeying along in your life and something happens like a pandemic, I mean, that can be a transition because you have to shift from one sort of space and being into a new space and being. And so it is really important that we recognize that these transitions aren't just things that we plan and that we are intentional about, um, that they can just, they can happen. Maybe you miss out on something, right? You don't get something that you thought was coming, um, or things that are out of your control happen. So, yeah, so it's, it's to me, it's like, as I, the more I wrote this book, the more I realized we are all in this, um, you know, this idea of transition way more than we realize. Yeah. I mean, I think you do a really good service to your readers because you help to identify what that discomfort is by giving it a name, Mm. you know, because it's very easy to name the big ones, but it's less easy maybe to name the 
the smaller things as transitions. And yet that discomfort is present. So sometimes it's like, why do I feel this way? Yeah. And you're giving it, you know, a name and kind of a definition and a plan, which is really nice. Yeah. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I've had the privilege of reading the drafts of this book and it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And you use a theme of training for a race, Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Um, Kind of as, as the structure. Mm -hmm. This would not be surprising to any of the regular (laughs) listeners because we know about your running and Peloton adventures and all that, but how does this theme and the idea of training generalize to readers who aren't not, you know, as maybe athletic or drawn to sports and physical training? Yeah, that's a great question. So I tried, you know, I'm you, our listeners should know by now, I love paradox. I love metaphors, you know, so, so I'm always looking for ways. Um, I think it was, I was reading the Parker Palmer um, undivided life book. And I think it was Emily Dickinson that said, talked about metaphors as like communicating at a slant. I think that, I think mm. that was Emily Dickinson. And so this idea of metaphor is like, it's great because when you have trouble describing or articulating what something is, sometimes a metaphor just makes it crystal clear for people. And, and something that I really struggled with as an educator supporting my students is, and then conveying this to my colleagues was what this thing is and what I'm doing to support this thing that students are feeling. Right. And it wasn't until I started digging into things like in Brianne, you and I have explored this together identity development. Right. And we, we came across, you know, Schlossberg was in our, our writings there, our readings there and other places. And so this idea of transitions, and as soon as I started, you know, Googling research in in the research literature transitions, my gosh, this whole new world opened up to me. And for me, the training piece is universal because again, that intentionality, it gives us a framework, even if you're not a runner, it just gives you a stepwise process to, to sort of work and think about this. And, and I, when I say stepwise, stepwise process, this is not a linear sort of journey, right? So like I have, the idea is that you have preparation, right? You sort of have this pre-work that you're doing, the warm-up, the preparation, the performance, and then there's a reflection and sort of it starts over again, right? You're learning from that reflection. But, you know, I've been reminded as I've talked to educators in preparation for the book that sometimes those steps happen in the first day of school. Right. So they're sort of stacked on top of each other. So it's not it doesn't have to be linear. So it could be stacked. Um, It also could be, you know, it could happen in in a matter of an hour. It could happen in a matter of over a year. Right. So this when I when I presented this framework, I really want people to understand that this thing can be pulled, stretched, right? It can be mushed and it can be stacked. But the idea was, again, you know, you said name that discomfort. My goal was to name things that we go through and things that might help to get to move through these transit, not even to move through these transitions, but to be in these transitions. Because what I'm trying to get people to stop doing is focus on moving through. Mm -hmm. To me, transitions Yes, we need to have goals and yes, we, there are outcomes and we're all externally motivated by goals. But for me, the, I hope what people get from this book is that we need to learn how to be in these transitions. Someone said to me this week, um, in a conversation I was having, they said, I get the sense that you're often a human doing, not a human being. And what she meant, 
<laughs> I mean, it wasn't I didn't take it as a criticism, right? It was a more she felt her and she was right. Her evaluation or assessment was I like I like action, right? I want to move. I want to I want to have a to do list and get through that to do list. And so it's a reminder that for me, part of this book is just learning being being present, being in being able to just take in what you're feeling without judgment, without the voices in your head telling you that this is not right and just be in that moment. So, um, so I think that's, I don't know if I answered your question, but I just feel like the, the idea of being able to take steps and what those Mm -hmm. steps could look like. And then the other, in those chapters, I try to articulate through stories and examples, like how you can, um, like, how that's practical, right? Like practical steps. Like what does that look like in practice when you say do that thing? So. Yeah. I mean, one of the best parts of your book is this balance of what I think are like really wonderful insights and thoughts and the stories that illustrate those things Mm -hmm. and just bring them to life for us. And as you were talking, I was thinking about your field hockey coach, coach Lil. Yeah. Um, And there are some amazing stories in there about her. I'm actually going to ask you to sort of offer a teaser on that Mm. um, and kind of give an example, because I think it relates to just what you were saying with, Mm -hmm. you know, it's good to have goals and it's good to have an end state. And if, if in high school, that was the state championship, you don't go from preseason day one to the state championship. Right. And it really sounds like she encouraged you guys to have these kind of micro goals along the way and to just be so present and um, yeah, in, in all ways, like physically, mentally for one another sportsmanship, all that kind of stuff. So would you mind just giving us a little bit of no a not sense a, of what she was like? And yeah, kind of- not at all. So, um, yeah, I mean, she was so Lil Shelton, Coach Shelton, Coach Lil. We'd call her different things. Um, and I have to say, we we lost her, um, you know, recently. So, um, so she's been on my mind. It's interesting, Brian. I feel like I've told you this. I feel like the universe has been screaming at me because, you know, things have been crossing in all my, and when she passed away, I mean, she was, um, she had a wonderful life. She was in her nineties when she passed away. It was just interesting, the timing, because she was on my heart and in my mind. And so like, it was really easy to write about her, um, to try to honor her legacy. Um, and for folks who don't, you know, don't know her, she's, she's been, I mean, she's in the record books like nationally and with, you know, has been recognized by ESPN and had the winningest field hockey team, you know, just so anyway, I mean, she's, she started the program at, at my high school in the, in the seventies and, and stayed that coach until, you know, well into the two thousands. So it's, she's a pretty remarkable woman. And I'll say that whenever educators often get asked, you know, in either a teaching philosophy or in an, in an exercise to, conjure up, you know, an influential person or an influential teacher or mentor. And I can tell you dollars to donuts. Every time I'm asked that question, she's the person that comes to mind for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so she's, she's definitely, I'm getting chills right now. Um, she's (laughs) definitely been really inspirational. And so I think for me telling stories about her and to get to your point, Brianne, what I remember and what I wrote about in the book is, um, one of the famous, and if you ask any Severna Park high school field hockey uh, player about dribble jog sprints, they will <laughs> they will know exactly what you're talking about. And they may smile a dreadful smile because <laughs> it's a warm memory of something very difficult to do. And and the idea was that we knew it was tradition every Monday 
um, that was what we would do. We were for our, our sort of fitness, right. Was the, the cardio was the dribble jog sprint. And essentially if you're familiar with a field hockey field or a soccer field, if you think about the width of the field, um, every player would line up with a ball. You would dribble the ball to the other side of the field. You would jog back and then you would sprint to the ball and that would be one. And you would do that, you know, that would be your warm up. And so when we would walk to her door, the number of dribble draw experience we were going to do would be on her door. So we were all sort of, you know, cringing and no, you go, no, I'm going to, no, I don't want to go. I went last week. You go, right. Nobody wanted to go and see what that number was. And the reason this was important to the transitions book is to, to what Brianne spoke of is you don't go from being um, a preschooler to a kindergartner overnight. You don't go from becoming, you know, the leader of an undergraduate program at a snap of a finger or whatever that transition is, it takes preparation. It takes warm up. And what she recognized is that while we were all wholly focused on being state champs, I mean, we, from day one, that was always, you know, there was something on the wall, on the board, reminding us of where we were going. So we definitely had outcomes in mind, but she knew that this was a journey. And so when we did dribble jog sprints in those, that first month, we didn't do 25 of them, even though by the end of this, the season, that's where we would be in numbers. We started with 10, we started with 11 and she watched us and, and sort of increased accordingly. And so it was a really easy story to tell to sort of, you know, literally she's, you know, you might think as a coach of a very successful program that she's like from day one killing us. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's not, um, that's not, that's not how you do this because I mean, you know, Brianne, you can't overwhelm a student, a colleague, a, a kid, a player in that first day that no matter who you are and how much experience you have winning that thing or getting that outcome, we have a process we have to go through. And it's, to me, it, it sort of um, was emblematic of this idea of transition. Yeah. Oh, the stories are so good. I just can't <laughs> wait for everybody to read them. I just, I never knew Lil, although I Googled her when you told me that she had passed away and the stories there are incredible, yeah. but yours are obviously more personal than what I read. Um, one of the things that I like about, <clears throat> excuse me, what you're saying now is the idea of it, it is a lot of work all along the way. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easy to look at, for example, the finished product of a book or a state championship team and be like, wow, they're really talented. And to, to lose sight of the fact that those authors or players worked every single day to achieve that really impressive outcome and goal. And I was listening to Brene Brown the other day, she was talking with a physician who's also an author. And she was saying that even still, she has this feeling when she reads a book, she's like, God, what the heck? Like that came so naturally to that person. And Steve, her husband's like, how do you know that? Like, they probably were like up toiling and, and struggling with sentence structure and paragraphs just the way you do. That's right. But we sometimes look at these sort of glossy finished products and think like, wow, that must've been easy. And yeah, it's not right. Yeah. So- that's so, that's so true. I'm glad that you brought that up. And I always think like when we talk to our students and they want exemplars and examples of things. And, and I understand why they want it. And we definitely needed to be talking about talking to them about what their outcomes, you know, what the, the outcome looks like, but at the same time, it just does them a disservice because then they're like, Oh, I will never measure up to that thing. Right. I will never. Um, and whether it's a book, 
a painting, a performance, or even like a syllabus, like a course syllabus can feel incredibly overwhelming on the first day of school because you look at that thing and you're like, I don't know any of this. How am I going to do this? Well, of course you don't. Right. And that's, and we, and what I think, what I hope this book does for us is that we remember when we hand out that syllabus or the equivalent of a syllabus, maybe it's a, 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 you know, a game plan or an orientation handbook at a nonprofit that when that person receives that syllabus, there's a lot of anxiety, no matter how prepared or qualified that person is there. We, and, and this book is about being able to be in that space and say, and I say to my students now, I know this is going to conjure up civil. I call it syllabus anxiety. I legitimately, and like, I see their shoulders and you can't see me because we're on a podcast. They go down maybe an inch just by saying those words, syllabus anxiety, because I've just said, I know that you're feeling this icky thing right now. Cause I used to feel it too. And we will all feel it together. And let's start with one little part of this. Just that if, if, if people take nothing else from the book, then that, that I feel like that's powerful for me at least. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. I just wrote it down because I'm going to use that phrase now, (laughs) syllabus anxiety. (laughs) Um, And it's so true. And it doesn't matter what level of education you're in, right. And how successful you've been, or at least for me, it never mattered how successful I'd been in other things. When I got a new one, I was like, this is the one that's going to tank me. Like, there's no way I can do all of these things that that they're going to ask, but you can when you do it step-by-step and kind of systematically. So Mm -hmm. um, to me, a big part of success in those programs is finding people to, to walk with you Mm -hmm. in it and to have that sense of belonging. Right. And I know you kind of talk about that in the book as well in these connections. And obviously you've been really fortunate to have some awesome relationships with Mm -hmm. people who've helped you to, you know, like look and reflect and, and walk through these hard times. Mm -hmm. And I think we all know probably the (laughs) one person, right. Who, yeah. Maybe did that the most for you growing up, although you're probably too young to articulate it in that yeah. way at the time. But where is your grandmother <laughs> in your book? Mm. You're going to make me cry, Brian. Um, <laughs> I'm going to try not to, though. I um, I think that even when I don't say her name, she's everywhere. I think um, I definitely write about her in spots of the book, but she's everywhere. And I miss her. It's funny that you mentioned her cause, um, she's been on my mind this week. Um, and I'm, I've been missing her a lot. Um, you know, I wish she was here to see this. I don't know. I just wish she was here to hear the podcast and see the book because these are, I mean, she just, she always just expressed so much joy, like whether it was me or another grandkid, not, you know, not just me, but like just something we were doing. And, and I remember when she, my mom, had her listen to one of the episodes and she just, just thought it was the most amazing thing, you know, which is so cool. So my grandmother is everywhere in here. And, and I think I say that she's everywhere because the thing that you and I have been talking about, and I feel like we've been talking about this a lot in the podcast is being intentional and making space. Right. Um, and this idea, and I was sharing with somebody uh, last week that, um, this idea that the best way <clears throat> that we can love each other and, and love, I know is a tough term because we automatically think romantic. I don't mean romantic love, but really just love and care for each other is to create time for each other. That's it. 
it's, it's, it's that simple and it's that difficult. Like, it's not about stuff. It's not about buying me this or that, or it's time. And, and I think that's why my grandmother is everywhere in this book, because what I've, I've always said it, Brianne, but I don't know that I actually recognized it until recently that that's exactly, hmm, that's exactly what my grandmother gave to all of us in our family was time. Like the, the thing I used to brag about so much with my grandmother and my grandfather was, you know, cause they came from modest means and they would admit it. They came from modest, hard, hard workers from modest means. And we spent time at the beach swimming, um, golfing. I used to spend my college, um, spring breaks in, you know, at a retirement community playing golf with my grandparents every, every day, every day. Um, so she taught me through her own living that you have to give time to everybody, to each person. And I think that's what I'm trying to say in these transitions is whether you're, leading a program in a program, running an organization, raising kids, you can't just like push the, push through that. Like you can't, you, you can try, but it's going to come back. It's, it's not going to leave you. You're going to be unpacking it at some point. And so why not just take the time and name it syllabus anxiety? Why not just take the time and say to your doc students, and, and we're getting ready to meet a new crew soon, mm-hmm. that this is going to be hard that you are experts in your own right with all this expertise and, and this is going to be challenging and we're here to support you. So, so I think, yes, there are stories of her. Of course, I couldn't not have a story of my grandmother in there, but she's, I mean, it's to me, she's just coming through in so many places in that book. And it's, for me, it's the time piece is huge that that's really how she, she said she loved me. We said we loved each other every time we saw each other and every time we left And she showed me that love through the time that she gave me, you know, that she spent with me. Yeah. Love that. (laughs) Um, Let's, let's roll on the theme of time, although in a different way. Right. So you're busy. You have a lot of responsibilities, you know, at home, at work, we're in a pandemic and you decided this would be a great time to write a book. (laughs) (laughs) So I wonder if the listeners want to know why now? Like, Mm -hmm. how did this for you, like, what was your sort of process with this? How did, how did this come about for you right now? Yeah, that's good transition and good question, Brian. I like that. Um, (laughs) yeah, I mean, I think there were moments when I was talking with the publisher and the editor where I was wondering the same thing. And I think there was a, for me, there was a lot of anxiety around how am I going to get this done in a pandemic? And at the time, so I started talking to the editor, I pitched the idea last summer, last August. And so throughout the fall, we had back and forth sort of conversations and editing. And so at the time our kids were home, right? Not only were we in pandemic, but they were homes online totally. Mm -hmm. So, so there's that. And so I was really worried how I was going to get this done. But um, for folks who listen and know me, um, and Susan kept saying to me, you know, Susan was great. Cause Susan's like, you can do this. Like never a doubt, never questioned it. Um, because, and I said, well, how can you be so sure that I can get this done? And she kind of looked at me and listed the things that I've been able to accomplish and the sort of quickness and expeditious way in which I do things. And she's like, once you decide you're going to do this thing, that's it. You're going to do it. And 
and you know, I, I really, I'm so fortunate to have like such a supportive partner and, you know, friends like you, Brianne, who, you know, cheer me on. And so that's really helpful. And the other thing is, I mean, just from a practical standpoint, I just devote, I, in my schedule, I built out the morning every morning for a couple of hours, I would write, I would just write. And, and Susan was really great about helping me protect that time every day, like that the kids would, she would do something with them. And, um, so, so, so that, that's how it worked logistically. Why now in terms of just sort of thinking more generally outside the pandemic, this stuff has just been in my head for so long. Um, you know, whether I was teaching at a community college or teaching, you know, graduate students at a business school, um, or being in corporate, you know, the short time I spent in corporate America, you just see it, you know, I've felt it a lot. I've seen it a lot. And I just, I, I just felt like I had, whether or not people listen, that's, I mean, I would love for people to buy the book brand, Let, like, let's be, <laughs> I want people to buy lots and lots of copies of this book. And at the end of the day, it just felt really good to articulate all of what I've been thinking. And I, I it has been a great privilege to have, you know, an editor, you know, a real publisher, an editor willing to read it and give me really good feedback to pull this all together. And, and for folks who are listening, who are students who have a hard time with feedback, we have to change our, the channel on what feedback is, because if you really take it in, it can push you in ways that you didn't realize you had in you. And like when I read some of the pages now from the great feedback I've got from my editor, it's like, yep, that's so much better. Right. Like, mm. so, so it's just been fun to, <laughs> to get it down on paper and in words, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. And as somebody kind of watching you through the process, I would say that it was so ready. Like you were so ready to write this book. There was just so much there, you know? Yeah. So it was really neat to, to read those drafts. Yeah. Um, I wanted to follow up sort of that thread of, of editors because we've talked so much about teachers as learners on this podcast and the other. Um, and I was wondering about your experience of being a writer and mm -hmm. learning, and maybe that came through editing mm -hmm. um, or, you know, and other things. So what, I guess, what are some unanticipated lessons that you've learned through the writing process? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, so I think that I've learned, um, I think before I started writing the book, I mean, it, had, it has been sort of a bucket list thing for me for a while. I, I, can't, I have, I have said, and I'm, I know Brian, you've heard me say, I really want to write, you know, I really want to write a book. I feel like I have a book in me and I want to do it. And I didn't think I could do it. Let's be honest. I really didn't think I could do it. Like to think about writing 200 or 250 pages on one topic you know, I did that twice in my dissertations and that took me three years. Right. So, like, so my comparisons were, um, and I think the other thing is like trying to find your voice, right. That's, that's a challenge. And so for me, just, it was a really nice reminder slash lesson that like, as Susan said, like anybody who puts their mind to something, right. I mean, I think in a way it's related to the to the book because like mm -hmm. I was making a transition from a primarily academic kind of writer and teacher to someone who was trying to write a book that's practical and accessible and makes sense. And so just, I had to keep reminding myself, you know, write, write the prologue, 
write this first chapter, write the second chapter, you know, come back to the, you know, leave yourself a, a placeholder and come back to it and then things will develop. And, you know, Brianne, we always tell our students to trust the process, right? I think that trust the process, it's, there's so much, there's so many layers to that, right? And I just recognize that trusting the process means also getting up every day and taking that one, that first step. And, and I, um, I don't know. I mean, I think I just, as I was writing a book on transitions, I was living a transition and, and sort of, as I would write about something, I'd be like, Oh yeah, I need to like, you know, I need to do that thing too. So, so it was kind of fun, um, in that way. And I just, I don't know. I think for me, the big takeaway is if there is something that you want to do, whatever it is, then make a plan and do it. That's the only way it's going to get done. You got to, and even if it's a super, super small step, right? Like I was talking to somebody the other day about a project they're thinking about. And I said, okay, well, where could we start? And the person said, well, I don't have a ton of time right now, obviously because of the pandemic. And, and he said, um, but I could sit, I could see myself sitting down and making a plan for how I'm going to do it. Right. So even mm-hmm. just a page that says, when I, you know, I'm going to, I can't start this yet, but I can make a plan for the steps I'm going to take. Great. Do that. Right. So just biting off a little bit. um, I don't know. I just think we, we don't give ourselves enough credit and we just need to make the time and be intentional um, and do what we want to do. Yeah. Gosh. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So before I just ask kind of a practical last question, I wanted mm-hmm. to give you the opportunity to add anything else. So is there anything else that you would want to share about the book that we haven't gotten to yet? I don't think so. I mean, I just, I so enjoyed writing the book and I hope that for folks who, you know, read it, buy it and read it, that they see that and that the book is really, it's, I think it's a good mix of my experience stories and then also research to sort of legitimize some of the things or just to match some of the things that I'm saying with what's being written about. Um, and I hope, I hope people will see that the sort of the cadence of the book is there's some, you know, I talk about this notion of there are sort of preparatory or prerequisite sort of things we can do to prepare, to get ready for this kind of work, you know, to ready ourselves, and there's a, um, a framework to, 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 um, to follow, which I think people will find helpful. Um, but that framework is not, you know, set in stone and that you should make it your own. And, and when you do make it your own and you try these things out, I think, um, you know, I would love to hear what that looks like, right. When you try that out, because I'm crossing my fingers that it does well, and maybe I'll have like an opportunity to write a, a second edition and it would be awesome to, (laughs) to think about how to make it better or how to apply it to particular circumstances. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, speaking of feedback, feedback is always welcome as far as I'm concerned. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's already talking about a second edition. Here's, (laughs) here's the question that I want to know and that hopefully some of your listeners will want to know is when can we read the first one? So where Mm. in the process are you and and when is it going to be available? Yeah. So I have submitted like a full draft of the 12 chapters plus the prologue to the second, like the the next team of editors. Um, So we're in what's called the production phase where it, 
I don't know how it happens. I think probably it's a magic wand of some sort, but the editors take my like word document, for example, and they turn it into a, like, it'll look like a book the next time I see it. Um, so I can actually see it in book form. So we're in the process of, I mean, we're starting to talk about art and covers and, you know, um, activities that I want to put in it. So I think um, it should be, the project should be complete sometime in July and hopefully ready for publication either end of summer, beginning of fall is what we're hoping now, you know, as the publisher said, you know, things can happen, but that's, we seem to be on track right now. So, um, so that's the plan. Yeah. So it's been, it's been fun to think about, I don't know what, what the cover will look like. So, yeah. Yeah. Again, back to that Brene Brown podcast, they were talking about writing and the process of writing. They were talking about the title and the journey to a title and Mm. how hard that is. And I know you've talked about it a lot too. Yeah. And they said the one thing, both Brene Brown and the, this author said that you have to be willing to let go of titles. And apparently that like, it's very mm. hard. I, I've never written a book, so I'm not sure. Um, yeah. But I guess you sort of can feel attached to a title and then they're like, you have to be willing to let it go and, and refresh. And I was like, oh my gosh, that must be so hard. So yeah, you're I not think alone that's... in the struggle for a title. Yeah, it is. The struggle is real. I, f- I feel like I spend some I take my dog Grady outside a lot and we fetch the ball and I spend many of an afternoons fetching the ball with Grady to like, think about. different. <laughs> and then I think I I've been, I've been sitting on one. I had been sitting on one for a while that I really liked. And I think that's good advice from Brene Brown. Cause like, I'm sort of shifting in another direction. I'm like, Ooh, do I really want to leave that first idea? So, um, but hopefully the, you know, again, the privilege of having an editor is that they, this is what they do for a living. So they're giving really good feedback and all. I just, you know, I think sometimes it feels like the title is everything. Um, and maybe it, it is to some degree, but it's not really right in the grand scheme right. of things. So I need to yeah. sort of get some perspective on that yeah. piece of it. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you. This has been great. I mean, I'm super excited about the book. And yeah. No, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm super excited. And um, yeah, I was thinking, um, I know we have, gosh, our, our season's almost wrapping up, Brianne. I can't believe we've like done a year of like education in the pandemic sort of, you know, um, interviews. But I know we have um, one more, at least one more reflection on the year coming in May. I was thinking I might do one more short with like an excerpt from the book. So, so stay tuned for more. If you, if you liked what you heard today, <laughs> teaser, teaser, yeah, alert. <laughs> I, may, I may do a little bit more. So yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for the opportunity. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we will um, wrap up this episode. Um, Brianne, thanks for your expert interview skills there. It was excellent. And uh, thanks to everybody who was listening. And this has been another episode of tell me this. I am well, I'm a co-host, Carrie Borkowski, with Brianne Reese, but today I was your interviewee. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, take care and stay safe. Gravity, so sincere under the glaciers of your last year. Sees me. Oh.
to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.